welcome to the Saturday morning meditation meetup. And uh, uh, let's see, looks like we have one or so two. Does Darth Vader meditate? Uh, when? Probably, yes, because Sith is one of the religions of the Jedi. So, yeah, I guess there is a Sith meditation, but how would yes. that look like? I don't know, but it seems like you'd have to meditate to get in touch with the Force. Well, there was that whole thing about, like, you know, feel your hatred, Luke. Like, so maybe they meditate on that. But it doesn't seem like a good plan. So if I meditate long enough, I can move stuff with my mind? Is that how it works? Uh, well, in, in, in the Star Wars universe, yes. But on the other hand, in the Star Wars universe, people are completely batshit. So um, it's probably not really a good trade-off. If you meditate long enough, you can move your thoughts with your mind. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Did you ever hear the Ajahn Brahm, I think it was Ajahn Brahm's story, how he was going to the prison and all the prisoners were interested in meditation and he was really pleased. And then finally one of them came up to him and said, is it true that if you meditate long enough, you can fly over walls? And then he realized why they were so interested. <laughs> uh -huh. That must have not been an American prison. I think it was Australia. Mm. Well, maybe if they like meditated enough, they could like fly through the walls in their dreams. You know, it, there really isn't a bad outcome to that, right? It's like, it's like either you like achieve awakening and then it's like, okay, I'm in prison. So what? Or, you know, you learn how to fly over walls and then you're like, out of prison, but actually you're also a really powerful meditator. So maybe you've actually gotten over some of the stuff that landed you in prison in the first place. So if that flying over walls thing worked, that would be kind of awesome. But, although, you know, also a lot of people land in prison for reasons that are completely unjust. So in that case, there's really no downside to the whole flying over the wall bit. Well, you'd be on the land. You'd be on the lamb? Yeah. Well, yeah, but you could fly. Like if some cop comes after you, you'd just be like, zoop. <laughs> that was Andrea. So um, this is all fun, but but uh, technically this is a meditation meetup. So does anybody have anything they want to talk about to do with their meditation practice? Well, I, I think we should keep on talking about the hypothetically if you could fly, right? Let's, let's keep on, keep with that. Okay. Hypothetically. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, so what happens if like, you know, you have like pretty good Samadhi and it's good enough that you can start flying, but then you get over the wall and you're like, yeah, I got over the wall and your Samadhi collapses and you land and you fall, you know, fall to your death or something. That would be bad. Yeah. In that world, distractions would be brutal. Yeah. <laughs> be like Wiley Coyote. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how Wiley Coyote's like it's 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 like his belief keeps him safe, but then when his belief collapses, he's just hosed. But then, like you know, he falls like a thousand feet onto the floor of the Colorado River and goes path, and then a couple minutes later, he gets up and walks away. So, so we're really like, you know, oh for whatever on on meditation topics here. Does anybody have any meditation topics to bring up? We could just talk about the Roadrunner all day. 
I had a really good session this morning. Uh, my attention was very stable, mm -hmm. and I I didn't do very much body scanning. I'm at stage five, but and and so I'm trying to work on increasing vividness and clarity, and I was able to do that just by staying with the breath and continuing to intend more vividness and clarity on the breath, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it really felt good. Do you think that something that you were doing something differently today, or was it just today was a good day? Well, I got better sleep over the last couple of nights, so I bet that contributed. Um, yep. I'm not aware of anything else different that I did today other than better sleep than usual. Mm -hmm. This is, I guess, the process of the mind learning itself. Like, you don't always know, like, whether, whether it's learned something you don't know or whether it was just a fluke. But then if it yeah. did learn something, you don't necessarily know what it learned. You just know that something changed. Yeah, it felt kind of like that. It was like, yeah, I know how to do this now or mm -hmm. something. I, I can't nice. put it into words. But I think it's important to celebrate the good stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not just the times when you're flying over the wall and you forget and go, F. Anybody else have any exciting tales to share? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. All right. Um, yeah, so, so sits are improving significantly. Um, and uh, I don't know, things are, this is, this is kind of my, my old complaint in a new form, but the more I think about it, the old complaint is maybe the universal complaint. Um, in while sitting, things are getting easier and easier, and there's less and less distracting thought. And I've been going to some really weird places recently where it's like this sensation of where the breath is just sort of disappears and it's kind of disorienting and there's just kind of sensations everywhere, but I don't really know where it is. And it, it's, it's a little bit um, disorienting isn't quite the word disturbing or it feels like there, there's a sense of um, unpleasantness or uncomfortableness associated with it. And it feels like I, this, this analogy jumped into my mind, but on, on, uh, on the internet, I keep reading about this stuff called Vanta Black, which is like a military paint that is so black that nothing at all reflects from it. You look at something painted with this and it's just like a, a black hole you're looking at. And it kind of feels like my brain is painted with Vanta Black, if that makes any sense. Like no thoughts arise from big chunks of it. Um, but there's still, and, and this is the universal complaint, there's still this bloody little narrating voice that despite all the, like the rest of my brain feeling so quiet, there's still this one little voice which is sitting there thinking about the meditation and talking about the meditation and should I do this and should I try that and so on. And I'm getting more and more successful in 
sort of seeing that as just thought and letting that go and trying to let the mind just do its own thing. But that guy is still like, it's, 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 it's like I've given permission for 98% of my mind to go quiet, but that 2% is just, you know, it's still chattering away just as busy as, you know, as, as when I'm doing anything else in life. So I don't know if that makes any sense. So I have a couple of questions for you. It does make sense. Totally makes sense. I know exactly that feeling. Um, okay. and, and by the way, that little, that little guy can also be doing that voicelessly. Like if the, if the, if the words go away, the, 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 the little guy can still be there doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure if he's doing that voiced or hmm. symbolically at the moment. Hmm. So uh, a couple of questions. So when you're in that state, um, does it feel like you can investigate stuff? Um, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's still like there's, there's a lot of it that is kind of able to sort of just be there and just watch, but there's still a sense that distractions can still come up and, and take me away. Mm -hmm. And so I don't feel completely safe and sort of um, letting my attention go deep on some particular mm -hmm. thing that I might try to be investigating. The reason I ask is because it, there are two things that you mentioned that might be fruitful to explore. One of them is when you get into that state and it feels uncomfortable or anxiety, they're like there's some anxiety or wrongness about it. Uh, it might be interesting to explore uh, what is actually motivating that. Um, so in other words, you're there and like things are just the way they are, right? But there's some part of you that's like, no, this is wrong. So like, can you sort of point your attention or your awareness at that part of you and see what it's trying to say and sort of allow it to, to, because basically like, you know, whatever's going on there, there's probably like something that can be released. And so if you can, if you can sort of, sort of allow that space, if you can allow it space to communicate whatever it is that it wants to communicate, then that can lead to a release. So, that might be an interesting thing to, to see if you can do. Um, okay. And then uh, as far as the little voice goes, um, the little voice, um, so I used to have that a lot in meditation. Um, I don't really get that much anymore. I still do feel like there's a submind that's doing the same thing the little voice was doing, but it's way less distracting because it's not whispering words in my ear. So, so it might be interesting if there's some way to just like give some, again, like just, just give it the floor a little bit. Like why, what is it trying to accomplish? Like, like, okay, I understand you're narrating all this stuff, but like, what is it, what is it you're trying to do? And, and how much of what you're trying to do is actually already done and just like give it more space so that it, so it can like, because this is this is Chula Das is all about this thing where 
the the where attention and and you know conscious awareness is where the submines communicate. And so if you can if you can somehow give that little submine the floor while you're in this place where everything else is quiet, then uh, instead of just being there and gabbing, it might actually like look around a little bit and notice what's going on around it. And that might be fruitful. Yeah, you're you're right. As as you were saying, I just realized that that is sort of the the post hoc after the fact narration of stuff that's already yeah. bought and being done. Yeah. And by the way, did you ever play Portal Two? No. Oh, okay. There's a character in Portal 2 who is that voice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. Ted, can you, uh, you expand on what you mean by give it space? What does that actually amount to trying to do? <sighs> well, it's really kind of a felt thing. So I can give you some words and they might help you to find the thing, but I can't actually tell you how to do it. Um, for me, it feels like like when I'm meditating, if I notice something happening that seems like it's it's it needs to be heard, um, then I just I feel like I sort of mentally turn towards it and and give it the spotlight, and uh, but not not in the sense of like letting the the rest of what's going on go away but just in the sense of like, okay, here we are in this place, you know, we've gotten to wherever we are right now in the meditation and you have something going on. And so let's let you have that thing, you know, you being the submind that we're investigating, let's let you have the floor and then you can share whatever it is that's going on for you. And my experience of that is that, is that when it's done successfully, uh, which is not something that's in any way under control, right? But when it's done successfully, what seems to happen is a sort of a softening and coalescing. So it's like, it's like there's this blob of energy and the energy doesn't go away. It's just that it kind of melts into the whole mind. Um, and, and then, you know, sometimes, sometimes whatever that thing is comes back and sometimes it never comes back again because it's satisfied. So it's, but it's, it's like, there's this sort of like, it's not really like you're turning your attention to it, but you're just kind of letting it come to the center and or letting letting the center I don't know it's 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 really hard to because it's all happening it's all like anything that I say is actually a concept that I'm laying on top of what's actually happening which I couldn't describe and 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 in fact don't even know what it looks like <laughs> so uh but but you know for me it always feels like when something like this happens it sort of feels like like in my mind I imagine that like like something is like coming and it goes by and then I notice that it's gone by and I'm like oh hi and I almost, it's almost like I'm turning my head towards it and seeing it. And then in that moment, when I see it, it has the floor and then the, the investigation and the sort of the, the relaxing and coalescing can occur. Yeah, I think I got the gist there, thanks. Okay. Can I just uh, ask a question to follow up on that? How do you prevent uh, mind wandering from occurring when you allow uh, a thought that isn't, you know, conscious awareness on the breath to, to take control of like your center stage? Because my concern is uh, I'm a relatively early meditator, like stage mm -hmm. two slash three. Um, if I were to do what you're describing, I'd probably, you know, end up getting lost for a moment or longer, you know, just yeah. like, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's so, so what I'm describing is, is, is more something you would do at like stage seven or eight. 
um, at stage at stage two or three, you're not really in a place where you can effectively do purifications yet. Um, so you so so the stability you get at stage four gives you a little bit of latitude, not a lot. At, at stage four, you still have to keep you know keep doing the stage four practices, but but you have enough um, stability that when something comes up uh, as a distraction that is actually you know a thing to be purified, then you can just like be there with it and you know essentially the way chuladasa describes it is you allow it to be an awareness but you have you have your attention on the breath so you're like you know you're on the breath but but you know that the thing is there it's like you're seeing it out of the corner of your eye and just allowing it to be there and sometimes it won't it won't be willing to be there it'll insist on being in the center and that that's like a really powerful distraction and some and chuladasa says when that happens you just like you know, allow that to be the meditation object. And that's, that's okay too, as long as you continue to do the mindful awareness practice with that as the meditation object. So that's an option. Now you, you say you're at stage two and three and uh, those, those who, I don't know, I don't think you've been on the call before, have you? Or uh, I've been once, like maybe okay. I want to say like two or three weeks ago, but you actually weren't present during the one call. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I have a little bugaboo and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to put you in the spotlight for a moment because of it, which okay. is, you say you're in stage two or three. So, so um, what's going on in your sits that makes you say stage two or three as opposed to stage four? Sure. So um, I, I, I'm able to sit for about an hour duration. Uh, mm -hmm. During that time, um, I do reach what I would consider to be like access concentration, meaning that like my breath kind of fades out of awareness and I do experience, uh, I, I'm able to focus more on like a sensation of just like being present instead of being able to focus my breath because the sensations are so light. Mm -hmm. I say I'm still like in, in, in flux between stage two and three because I have trouble sometimes feeling like the like finer distinctions of like feelings of breath. Um, I'm unable to really like do connecting like the technique that Kodas describes. Um, and I still experience um, uh, some, I, I know mind wandering is still something that it doesn't eliminate into like a later stage, like four or five or so, but I, I do experience um, relatively frequent mind wandering still where I will notice myself, um, you know, having thought about something else. And I, to, I, I use a noting technique where I'll say thought to bring myself back to conscious awareness. So because I'm still like trying to get my understanding is when I reach stage three, I have a relatively much more quiet mind with only very intermittent interruptions of, of like thought. So it should be lasting like a moment or so. And I experience relatively longer interruptions, say like, I, I don't have a time, you know, measurement or something, but I'll, I'll occasionally notice, you know, even during my hour sit, um, more so towards the, the beginning of the period that I, I have, uh, you know, relatively frequent interruptions. So. Okay, so when you say interruptions, do you mean that the a thought comes up and you completely forget that you're meditating and, and you completely forget about the breath, or you, do you just mean that a thought comes up and kind of that's what's in charge and, and the breath kind of goes into the background? Um, it, it depends on like um, on my mindset on my mindset in any given uh, meditation session. Some are better than others, but um, by interruption, I mean that I, I'm losing track on my focus on the breath as the central meditation object. That I you know I think about something my mind will start to respond to itself and enter like a discursive uh, you know like discussion on the side and i'll have to recognize oh wait then i say you know thought and bring myself back okay so i would like you to consider the possibility that what you're actually experiencing is stage four and not stage two or three and the reason i say that is because um what you're describing sounds more like gross distraction 
than it does like uh, forgetting or, or mind wandering. Uh, gross distraction can feel just like mind wandering, except that the breath is still there. It's just not in the foreground. So, so you can be sitting there thinking about something, but you'll be like breath, breath, thinking about something, thinking about something. And so yeah. the breath will still be there, but the thinking about something will be in the foreground. And, and if you're not really noticing that distinction, then it'll sort of feel like you've become completely, uh, like you've forgotten the meditation, but you haven't because it's still there. It's just not central anymore. Do you see what I mean? So sure. that's, that's stage four. And, and the reason I mention this is because um, if you're trying to do stage two and three practices in stage four, basically you're just going to sit there in stage four for, for until you stop doing that because they won't have any real effect. <laughs> well, it's occurred to me that just focusing on the breath um, isn't really maybe as, as productive as I would like. So I've considered trying to do more body scanning techniques during my practice and like try to develop more of that as a technique in hopes that I could, you know, uh, I guess advance myself forward faster. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but, but um, one of the things to, to point out is that, is that there's sort of like, there's a thing that you're trying, when you're meditating, there's a thing that you're trying to do. And then there's uh, how you react when it doesn't happen. And mm -hmm. the thing you're trying to do isn't really the practice. The thing you're trying to do is just a thing you're trying to do because you need a thing to try to do in order to be able to do the practice. So actually keeping your attention stable on the breath is really just a thing that you're trying to do. The practice is all of the stuff that you do to achieve that thing. And so in stage two, right, the, the practice is essentially the, the, the thing you're trying to do is the same as it is in stage four, exactly the same, I mean, all, all of the same stuff. You might, you might use slightly different techniques because stage two requires different techniques, but, but basically the thing you're trying to do is have your attention on the breath, right? Um, but in stage two, the practice is that you're trying to notice when you've forgotten, when, when you're in mind wandering. You're trying to notice when you're in mind wandering. So that's the practice. That's the, that's the essential practice that you're doing in stage two. And then in stage three, the essential practice that you're doing is trying to notice that you're in gross distraction before you forget, right? And then in stage four, the essential practice that you're trying to do is noticing subtle distractions before they become gross distractions and noticing subtle dullness before it becomes gross dullness. So, uh, so, so in all of those practices, the essential central object is the same. It's the breath. It's I'm going to try and keep my attention on the breath. I'm going to try and do close following or whatever, right? Close following is a thing you do uh, because it triggers the, the bugs, right? So, so if you think about this as like, you know, a, a computer program, right? Computer programs have bugs. And so like you've got some code and the code is like, I am going to keep my attention on the breath, but there are some bugs. And so, so your job now is to notice when the bugs happen and fix them. Right. And so, um, so this is starting to turn into kind of a long monologue. I apologize for that, but I'll, I'll finish up. But, uh, but basically what you want to do is, is get into that habit of noticing, uh, of, of identifying what bugs are coming up. And that tells you what stage you're in. And then once you've identified what bugs are coming up, then you develop the habit. And when you do this, that creates the stability, which then allows you to, to, to move on to the next stage. So like stage five is actually really destabilizing because you're doing something that's quite hard. And stage six is even harder. And those both will destabilize your meditations. But what makes it work is 
the habit patterns that you developed in the earlier stages. So in stage four, developing the habit patterns of catching subtle distractions before they turn into gross distractions and catching dullness before it pulls you down. Once you've gotten to the point where those are deeply ingrained and are happening automatically, then you can do stage five practices. And, uh, and you'll probably find that when you do the stage five practices, you wind up having more work to do on stage four. But that's okay because you're, you're gradually building this system of, of habits that then uh, gets you to, 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 to where you can do stage five practices without getting distracted or landing. In, ironically, stage five practices can totally land you in dullness. So, um, so, so, so it's important to keep that stuff in mind and not just focus on like the thing that I'm trying to do because that's important too, but it's not, it's, not what, it's not where the real work is. Anyway, that was kind of a long diatribe. I apologize, but hopefully it's helpful. Or instead of the thing you're trying to do, like the thing you're trying to get, focus less on the thing you're trying to get. Mm -hmm. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess my main intention is to just focus on the sensations of the breath and I kind of like let whatever happens, happens. I mean, I've tried uh, doing like jhana practice where after a while of like reaching active concentration or what, what I thought was jhana practice at least. I would reach active concentration and just try to focus on the feelings of contentment. Mm -hmm. But um, after a while, um, either that feeling would kind of fade away and I'd have a hard time maintaining it. Um, uh, or actually one, one interesting experience that had like a negative thought pattern appear and like, like almost like saying like, I didn't deserve happiness in that moment. And that like kind of like shook me out of like the, what it would appear to be like a developing like down a stage, I guess. But yeah. But, yeah. So, but what you're describing there is, is, I mean, so, so, you know, if you're talking about being in stage two, but then you're talking about accessing jhana, those are like actually really. No, I, I understand yeah. that, but I guess my, my contention is like, I'm, I'm totally self-taught, so I have no idea, like if I'm actually reaching uh, jhana. I'm just like following, like, right. um, there's another well, person, Leigh Branston, I think is his name. And I just, like, yeah, so I just follow like his instructions for like what entering the first level of jhana is and just like trying to approximate that. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but what you're describing sounds like it's fairly inconsistent. And, and really what TMI is kind of, you know, TMI has many purposes, but one of the purposes of TMI is actually to help you to develop consistent practice. So, so when you sit down uh, to, to access jhana, you have some reasonable expectation that it's actually going to happen once you get to that stage. Uh, when you get to access concentration, it's not just something you sort of wandered into, it's something that you actually are able to, to quickly get to. So that, cause the thing is like, you know, we all have limited time, right? Like you can't meditate. If you could meditate like five hours a day, it really wouldn't matter if it took you an hour to get to access concentration, because now you've got five hours when you can be in access concentration. Awesome. But most of us don't have that, that luxury. So, um, so uh, it can be really helpful to, to, uh, to get to the point where like you're just kind of skipping over all the early obstacles. Like, you know, suppose you sit for an hour and like, like each of those obstacles after a while it drops because you've, you've, you've gotten sort of temporarily into a place where the obstacles aren't present, then um, that's great. But, but now imagine if you could just like develop the mental habit so that the obstacles didn't happen in the first place. And so basically you sit down this would be sort of characteristic of stage eight. You sit down, you put a little bit of effort into getting into uh, access concentration, and then bam, there you are. And and then now you've got like you know, say it's an hour. Say you have an hour to sit. Well, maybe 
Maybe it took you five minutes to get to axis concentration. Well, now you've got 55 minutes to be in axis concentration instead of like, you know, if you sit and it takes you 40 minutes or 50 minutes to get to axis concentration, then maybe you have 10 minutes in axis concentration. And that's not bad. That's still really good, but you could have more. So, and, you know, I'm not suggesting that you stress yourself out about that, but, um, but what I'm the way I'm interpreting what you're saying is that uh, while it's good that I'm able to at least practice towards the genre practice, like I should focus more on like drilling down my basic uh, um, ability to just like reach active concentration in the first place to create. Yeah, more and I mean, the, the other thing is when you're in jhana, jhana is automatic, right? It's not something that you're in control of. And so what you're doing automatically is going to affect how the jhana goes. And if what you're doing automatically is, is not really doing anything to counteract subtle dullness, for example, then you're going to be doing jhana with subtle dullness. And, you know, that's very pleasant, but it's not. And, and so I, I don't claim to be an expert on this. I'm actually really just parroting what Chula Dasa says about this. But, um, but Chula Dasa discourages us from doing jhana in subtle dullness. Um, so, and, and the thing is, you can't, you can't make the subtle dullness go away while you're in jhana if it's not happening automatically. So that's, that's why it's worth developing the ability to, to automatically have subtle dullness go away instead of having to decide that you're going to do something to make it go away. What is your opinion on throwing in like other different types of practices with TMI? Like I was also considering doing the TWIM or method uh, from Bante. That's uh, like a form of meta practice as well. Just, just to, I guess, kind of switch things up just to see if I, that would also help me kind of like develop uh, more evenly. Um, so in a sense, that's orthogonal, right? What you're talking about is doing a different Vipassana practice. So, so TMI actually comes with a Vipassana practice. We, we don't really talk about it much in the, in the early stages, but actually it's, it's Shamatha Vipassana meditation. The Vipassana part of the practice is actually sort of the, the place where you're noticing that you're not in control of the meditation, that the meditation just has to do itself. Yeah. Um, and that actually starts at stage two. So, so you're already getting a Vipassana practice. So when you go to TWIM, um, the TWIM method is just a different Vipassana practice. So, so like now you're working with metta as a way, as, as your meditation object. And that's great. Um, you're, given that you're at something like stage four right now, I don't think there's anything wrong with going and switching to TWIM, but it's probably not going to actually have the effect that you're talking about. Uh, it, it might well be a worthwhile, like, you know, you could have some kind of powerful awakening from doing TWIM while you're in stage four of, of TMI, and that would be awesome. So totally go ahead and do that. But just bear in mind that, that um, you're not probably going to, well, I don't know. Sam might disagree with me because I know Sam did TWIM and had some really good results, but I don't know, Sam, if you were doing, uh, TMI methods while you were doing TWIM. Um, so, um, I, I spent some time. Can you can you hear me better now? Yeah, this is awesome. Thanks. Yeah, so I, I called in with my phone. Um, I yeah, I did I did the TWIM method. I worked with that a lot, but I was mostly um, uh, just experimenting with that and more traditional meta style practice and, and I wasn't doing any TMI mm -hmm. for uh, a certain period and uh, that was uh, super good. Um, so mm -hmm. I have some limited experience with the twin, but not like, it's not like I've done it for years or anything. Sure. You know? 
Yeah, but that's fine. But so where were you in TMI, if at all, when, um, when, uh, when you started doing TWIM? Um, I think I was probably around stage six or six and seven mostly. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, you know, I wasn't dealing with too much dullness or distraction. And so the, uh, the, the TWIM practice was pretty, uh, effective, mm -hmm. uh, because I had a lot of the obstacles out of the way. Yeah. Um, and the meadow was also, uh, you know, I didn't have to deal with much dullness or distraction mm -hmm. there either. So it um, can be really good if you have those sort of uh, overcome to a certain degree, um, then it can develop a lot faster. Um, and that's kind of how it went in my case. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's a great method. Um, yep. Yeah, so... Very intuitive. So I, that, that sounds exactly right to me. My experience when I was trying to do meta when I was in like stage two was that it was, you know, it was really cool when it worked. It was like, you know, striking a match and, you know, like, like you might strike 50 matches and then one of them goes and you're like, woo, and it's really cool. Like, like really cool. Yeah. Like, like, like actually kind of a little bit life-changingly cool. But then you strike 50 more matches before you get another one to go. And it's like, okay, that was great, but like, this isn't very reproducible. And also I don't really know what to do with it because I'm not experiencing it enough to really, to really sink into it. Right. So, right. yeah. So, yeah, so, I, mean, so the, I think there has to be some stability of attention to actually get the benefit because if you can't continually sustain the intention, mm -hmm. then it's not really doing what it's, uh, you're, you're not really like doing anything really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would I would probably say it's better to start like stage five maybe if you're gonna do meta or stage four, um, some stability of attention yeah. has to be there I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. So David, you might be you might already be in a place where that's a good thing to try. Just you know, and it, and it might actually help you with some stuff like like you will find that you access new tools, right? So meta is actually a powerful thing for uplifting the mind. So you may find that meta is, a, is actually like once you're used to noticing dullness and, and applying an antidote, you may be able to use an, meta as an antidote for dullness. So. Can, can I ask you to build on more on the noticing dullness and uh, like correcting for it? So when you, um, I, as for someone in stage four, um, if they're like in active concentration and they're just like watching their mind as things you know, occur, um, how am I supposed to like notice that early and nip it in the bud? Aside from like holding like a conscious intention that I will be, you know, aware. So, uh, Sam, it sounds um, like you want to say something. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So, in stage four, um, there's a there's a whole there's a level of non-dullness that you have yet to uncover in stage four. Um, so that's that's one aspect, but um, there can be a stability of attention uh, with the subtle dullness. And uh, the key thing in stage four to getting uh, more stable attention is actually the awareness. Um, you want to be able to uh, automatically notice right away when your mind uh, goes off the meditation object. Um, and you want to you get that to where it's pretty automatic and obvious 
Um, and that, that process, basically noticing it right away, um, allows you to go back to the meditation object. So then it's just pretty much a subtle distraction. Um, and uh, so in my experience, um, you know, like access concentration, I would consider like stage seven or stage eight, really, because there's a lot of clarity uh, and uh, stability. And there can be a subtle distraction here and there, but, uh, and you can still access jhana if you have a subtle distraction, like once every, you know, few minutes in a five minute time frame. Um, so, you know, people, people, I think people get really uh, hung up on, oh, there's, there's one little subtle distraction. My, my attention's not stable enough for the jhana, but that's just not uh, true in my experience. Um, but there has to be um, some stability. Um, and it's better to have the clarity too, because uh, you, you can learn a lot more from uh, the jhanas if you ha don't have subtle dullness, because you see um, sort of a metacognitive perspective for one, what your mind is doing in the jhana and how it's different from not jhana and the things that move you from one jhana to the next. And those things you can't really see very clearly if you're uh, in subtle dullness. It's just kind of like you're, you just know that it's a pleasant state and uh, you're not really uh, mindful. Um, so I guess that's my thoughts. Um, I'm not sure if you had an actual question though. My, my, my question was more so, oh, my, I'm mute. Oh no, I'm not mute, okay. My question was more so uh, regarding if I am in stage four and I'm trying to overcome uh, subtle dullness, then uh, I, would I, I occasionally catch myself like leaning forward uh, during communications and I jerk back up and that's my no for sure that I've been, uh, you know, entering stages of subtle dullness. If I'm supposed yeah. to develop more metacognitive, metacognitive introspective awareness, uh, by that I mean just like, you know, ha being focused on the breath in the background, but, just, but having the main focus in my mind, just, you know, detecting what, what occurs. Uh, how do I then, uh, you know, prevent uh, that dullness from arising or, or getting to that later stage in the first place? Um, so in, in my experience, um, the biggest thing that, that gets you away from dullness is intending to not be dull. Um, so there's a certain intention to perceive the object clearly that is uh, behind the whole uh, following practice. Um, and I think it's that intention that's the key, um, because the having the intention to increase the clarity uh, is uh, it makes it more likely that you have more mind moments on the object in, in the subsequent uh, moments. Um, so um, catching subtle dullness, um, it takes a while being in stage five to really even recognize subtle dullness. Um, but once you can recognize it, then uh, it's mostly, it, it depends on how, how progressed it is, right? Like in the early stages of dullness, uh, you can detect it in its very immature forms and you can know right away, this is dullness. And then you can just reinforce the intention for clarity and it comes back after enough practice. But uh, earlier on, the progression will go further before you notice it. So you have to take more uh, extreme measures to correct for it. 
And so I like to think of it um, not as like a, uh, a separate thing, subtle, stable, subtle dullness versus uh, progressive subtle dullness. I just, I don't really see that distinction experientially, but others might. Um, I think of all dullness as basically the same thing. Um, so it, it's, it's basically just a matter of, as you go further, you uncover more, more levels of clarity that you haven't seen before. And then that becomes your like standard for this is not dullness. And then you compare your current state of mind to that gold standard of what's the most non dull I've never been. Um, and there, the, the awareness is sort of uh, comparing your current state to what you know to be the least dull state you can possibly reach. And um, in stage four, that awareness uh, becomes continuous. So in stage three, um, the, the awareness isn't really like a continuous thing, but by the end of stage four, you're intending for the awareness and it becomes this continuous monitoring thing. Um, so you notice things right away, but it's, it's kind of like a process, you know, like um, you're uh, continually getting to less and less dullness and it'll, you know, dullness is kind of like this thing that you never get rid of. It's like, you can, you can only like, even in stage seven, you could say there's, there's like some small degree of dullness, you know, like there's, Stage nine is more is less dull than stage seven, right? Like, um, I don't know if that really helps, but um, I think it's mostly intention is at the root of getting rid of dullness. And then there's a certain antidote you apply when you see it, and you see it earlier and earlier, the better you get. So, so. Everything that you said, I agree with Sam. I would I would point out a couple of other things that they're sort of the way that I sometimes see it, and this isn't the way I always see it. But um, if you're if you're in a fairly clear state at the beginning of the meditation, you might notice a feeling of being engaged in the meditation versus a feeling of being disengaged in the meditation, and you might notice that you alternate between those two phases. Um, whenever you feel disengaged, that's subtle dullness. I mean, that's that's not necessarily uh, as subtle as subtle dullness gets. It's actually probably fairly gross subtle dullness, but, uh, but still it's a kind of subtle dullness. And so if you can start to notice that feeling of disengaging, um, then you may find that, that, that helps you to, to like, if you notice that, then, then renew the intention to, to, to have clarity and see if that helps. It doesn't always help me. I mean, it, it, it depends on, it depends on where I am in my meditation, whether that's actually useful, but sometimes that can be quite useful. Um, if you feel like you're slumping, that's a fairly, that, that's, that's a fairly strong amount of, of, of subtle dullness. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. That's more, that's more advanced uh, dullness. If you're slumping or if you're suddenly taking deep breaths, that's uh, a little more advanced than if you, notice like immediately there's dullness here and then you correct for it. Um, that's the best case scenario, but it's, it, it just takes a lot of, uh, a lot of familiarity with what dullness feels like, um, and what not dullness feels like. Yep. So anyway, so sorry, uh, we've got, a uh, I was thinking, 
Uh, I think uh, let's talk to Rodrigo first. I have a follow-up question, actually. Uh -huh. uh, Ted, you mentioned the presence of cross distractions, and but you 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 didn't believe the the breath, and that is different from mind wandering. Yeah. And for the last three weeks, I've been having a lot of distractions to the point that uh, because I was in stage five. And then distractions started to come up, and I thought, okay, I'm back to stage four. But now they're coming so frequently that, that I'm starting to, to second guess that. And I'm, I'm, there's a different feeling of the distractions, so that even if I spend, I don't know, half an hour distracted, it seems as if I didn't leave. I, I, I wasn't that far away. I was distracted, but not that far away. As if, as if my distraction is close to my breath, but at the same time, it was a half an hour distraction. So I don't know if that is, is, is I just should just consider it, okay, I, I was mind wandering, and so it should try something from, from stage two or three, or if I just treat it as a, a, gross a long gross distraction. I don't know if there is that, that kind of, of distinction, because there, there is that, that clear feeling of, being distracted, but at the same time, being close to my breath. Uh, yeah, so Sam actually said something about that. I think it was maybe in the last call um, that, that like, it may be that what's going on is, is, is to do with, with uh, your intentions um, and that it might be worth sort of investigating. Like if you're sitting there and you're in gross distraction, you know you're in gross distraction, you're aware that it's a problem and you're not, and nothing's happening it's still happening, then there's a couple things that could be going on there. One is you could actually be having some real problem with dullness. And the reason why you're not doing anything is because you're too dull to do anything. Even though you're not really all that dull, you're too dull to, to really do the thing you need to do. Uh, but the other thing is just that like, you know, you're aware of it and for some reason, like you're giving yourself permission to have that distraction or to be distracted. And, um, and if that's the case, then, then the thing to do is like, so, so you're noticing that this is happening and there must be like maybe some impulse to do something about it. And then maybe that impulse isn't being followed. So see if you can notice that impulse. And if, if you do notice that impulse, see if you can see if you can uh, start to follow it. If, if that impulse isn't there, then uh, the thing to do is just when you notice that there's a problem, spend a little like like when you get to the point where you actually do have an impulse to to think about what's going on do that and think about what's going on think about why it is that you've given yourself permission to be distracted in this way and see if you can and and so it may be that you have like some purification that's trying to come up and it's just like not going to let go until you until you deal with it so that's that could be why you've given yourself permission to to be distracted if that's so, then you may just have to like put your attention on the distraction for a while to, to make it happen, or you may just have to acknowledge that that's what's going on. But it could also be that Sorry, it's I, didn't, I didn't understand that part. Mm -hmm. Do you mean purification is the distraction, or the distraction is keeping me from the purification? Oh, I mean, generally speaking, I, this is like, I tend to be a little bit reductionist, so don't take this too seriously, but I tend to think that any distraction is a purification. Um, so. <laughs> So if you're having a distraction, there's something there to be purified. 
Um, but if you're having a distraction that you can't get rid of, then there's something there that really wants to, you know, the floor, really wants attention. And so, uh, so it may be that the thing you have to do is just investigate it, take it as the, as the meditation object for a little while and see what happens. Or it may be that what you need to do is notice what it is that's making it be such a persistent distraction and work on that. So like, you know, for me, I used to have distractions that were about what I was going to do in my next retreat. Well, why was that okay to have as a distraction? It's because it was meditation. It was meditation related, right? So therefore it was, it was okay. It was allowed. And I actually had to notice that I was doing that and deliberately say, no, this is not meditation related. This is not allowed. And then that, that stopped. So, so sometimes you can't just like, sometimes you actually have to think about what, why the distraction is coming up and you can't just like sort of say, oh, well, this is a distraction. I'll just ignore it, you know? So. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, um, I, 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 would, I would also, sorry. Oh, go go ahead, ahead, Nate. Oh. All right, thanks. I, I was going to say like, it's also, what was useful for me was just like looking back to see if there's any like emotional uh, component in the background and most of the time it's sort of like if there's emotions that are like very subtle in the background they sort of um, give birth to certain distractions of certain flavors at, le at least that's been my experience and sometimes like looking at that background mm -hmm. and identifying that like really helps yeah I can see how that applies thanks Sam, you wanted to? Um, I was just going to say that uh, I would also be open to the possibility that this is a manifestation of dullness. Uh, because I've noticed for me, uh, my mind will seem to be lazy when I'm dull. And uh, it won't want to do what it's intending to do. Or there's a very vague intention and sort of just like, yeah, hey, I'm just hanging out and... Uh, that's a sign of dullness for me. So um, I would consider that. Testify. Yeah, <laughs> I'll look into that, thank you. <laughs> All right, uh, Tom, you have, uh, have something to say? Uh, I had a follow-up question also about dullness. Uh, I seem to have sometimes dullness come up toward the end of my hour, like in the last 10 minutes or so. Is that just fatigue and what do I do about it? Uh, I have some theories about that. It could be fatigue if you're really striving, but if it's not, if you're not really striving, then it's probably not fatigue. My theory about it, this is based on my own meditation practices, is there's a tendency when I get towards the end of the hour to feel like, wow, you know, I've had a really good sit. This is great. You know, and then it's like, okay, now I can chill. And so I actually, like, I have a specific practice that I do now, which is when I get to the end of my sit, if I feel like that's happening, I, I notice it and I deliberately try to keep, basically I try to get to the finish line still sprinting, so to speak. I mean, you know, not that much effort, but do you see what I'm saying? So basically try to maintain diligence for the entire sit until the bell goes off. And then when yeah. the bell goes off, it's like you're still, you're still going just as fast as you were rather than what tends to happen, which is that you tend to sort of, you, I mean, your mind knows when the I'm almost done. I don't have to work so hard. I can exactly. Yeah. So it could just be that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Sure. 
Michael. Hey, I uh, wanted to give a little update and uh, ask a question. So I, two weeks ago, I was talking about visuals that I was having somewhat on the cushion and then kind of distracting me off the cushion. And I think after we talked, uh, I just wasn't as worried about it as before. And it's, I think I was just like noticing so much and worrying about it. And since then it hasn't been an issue off the cushion, but on the cushion, um, it looks like it's kind of what Chuladas is describing for visual type uh, concentration. Um, and I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. I have to reread um, what he mentioned because it's been a while. But basically if I'm, um, as soon as I sit down and close my eyes and start to pay attention, I can get kind of uh, very floaty, light, visual stuff going on, very, uh, it's not, you know, it's not like uh, Ken was mentioning, like the Vanta blackness anymore. It's kind of like cloudy and light. And I'm trying to notice now if, uh, if I'm less focused or less aware, if there's changes, and it seems like if I'm a little dull or I'm not paying attention, it kind of gets kind of smooth and milky, and if I'm more focused, it can become more patterned and textured. Um, I, but I haven't seen anything like Chuladasa mentioned, well, not anything, but you mentioned seeing sometimes the visuals come as a disc that's floating, and then the disc eventually gets larger or something like that. Yeah. I'm not sure if I really see a disc. Sometimes I can kind of see like a more focused circular object, and it seems like it's kind of doing like a zooming into type thing. Um, so, and I, at times it can feel kind of distracting at the moment. Other times I just have been using it to say, okay, well, I'm very focused and I'll just keep doing what I'm doing with, you know, stage, maybe if I can get to stage five practice sometimes with the body scan or, or what. Um, so I was just wondering if anybody had any tips like, oh, that's definitely something you can use to get into jhana, or you should definitely be doing X, Y, Z right now, or anything like that. And it's pretty consistent, too. I would say, uh, at least for the past week and a half, every time I sit down, actually, I start with meta, but when I'm done with the meta for 15 minutes or so, I'm going to TMI, and I say, okay, time to focus. The visuals start right away, you know, cool. as soon as I close my eyes. Sam, you look like you want to say something. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like a nimita to me. Yeah. Um, it seems like it's coming early for you, which is really cool because, uh, yeah, I mean, those, those are, it usually comes up later. Um, and the standard advice is just to ignore it, even though it can be really cool. Yeah. Um, like when mine first started coming on, <laughs> it, it, it I was really intrigued by it because it's just this white light, but it's like the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. Um, so it can get really um, distracting when it gets really bright, but uh, you have to ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It yeah. Well, I wouldn't say it's 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 that like beautiful thing right now. It's just kind of like cloudy, swirly, and sometimes a little just you know it's too distracting that I have to focus on. But yeah, like you're saying. Just ignore it. Is yeah. It's yeah. like when you first cast. Yeah, it, it gets pretty compelling. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like eventually you can use it for jhanas yeah. when it gets really stable. Can I use it as a measurement of my dullness or focus? Because that's what I've 
I don't know if I've been trying to do that or if I'm just noticing that there's a usefulness to it to see like if I'm very focused, it's more textured. If I'm not focused, it's either smooth or not even there at all and just kind of, you know, regular eyes closed type thing. Yeah, I mean, so I don't think so. I think those pacification things are unpredictable, uh, especially early on. They don't really indicate much other than your attention is somewhat stable. So I would completely disregard what the Nimita is doing um, until until you get to the adept concentration, and then you might try playing with it. But I would just consider it a distraction. A distraction that you're not trying to make go away, but just let it let it be in the background doing its yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like, you know, do you need to make, like, suppose you've got your eyes closed and you're meditating. Do you need to make whatever visual noise comes up go away? No, you just ignore it. It's the same. I mean, it's also really cool, but, you know, my, my personal experience is that I have a very definite tendency to get distracted by cool things that happen in meditation. And the funny thing is they always stop as soon as I get distracted by them. Yeah, well, the, the interesting thing is it's not really stopping, and usually things stop for me. So, yeah, that's uh, yeah. Thanks, guys. That's a good work. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I think it's Jolt's turn. Yeah, I wanted to follow up with what uh, Rodrigo was saying about having really persistent gross distractions. My sits have gone back to uh, trying to do stable attention on the breath after probably a month or a little bit more of weird open awareness kind of thing that was happening. Uh, so I'm trying to attend to the breath and uh, it feels like there's, like I can't settle on the object at all, um, but in a kind of strange way that I can, I can find breath sensations, but they're never, they're never persistent. It feels like the breath sensations are never in the same place or consistent enough between breaths that I can actually stabilize on them. I feel like I have to rediscover what the breath sensations are after every breath. Um, and at the same time, I have this weird kind of like white noise phenomenon where uh, it feels like there's, there's like either thoughts that are almost nonstop there, but they're very fleeting or not really developed. At the same time, it feels like there's this white noise phenomenon in my vision. Uh, it's kind of like, like um, if anyone's seen the Blair Witch Project, um, when they're holding the camera and they're running and they're like, the screen is just kind of like shifting like crazy. That, that's what my field of vision feels like. Um, and none of the instructions in stage four, um, so I don't forget the breath, um, but none of the instructions in stage four basically do anything. Uh, I really don't know what to do with this except sort of just continue plodding on, but it doesn't seem to, uh, like the entire session, nothing seems to develop. I don't seem to get any further into the state or it seems very static. Uh, and between sessions too, it seems like I'm not making any progress. It's, yeah, it feels like just nothing's happening, but I'm sitting in this kind of weird state. Uh, I was wondering if anyone had experience with this or what's going on. Well, so one, I don't think you're in stage four. <laughs> um, I think you're, that's like stage seven, maybe. Yeah, it's kind of up there. Um, and I guess as you're meditating, one thing that does sort of, you're kind of in some sense learning to do and that is to let go um you know it, it kind of it's this definitely ties into what ted was talking about in terms of 
we we tend to approach things as like I want to get something. I want things to you know develop in this sense. I want you know the stable attention to be this way. Um, and even just the whole the breath sensations being completely anew each breath. I mean, actually, that's you know that's that's where things go. <laughs> that's kind of where you sort of end up as you are practicing, um, getting you know developing not only just your concentration but also your wisdom. Um, so all of that is actually exactly part of the process, um, and with that you know, part of the process, part of the cultivation, part of the development. And with that, though, that you, you also just, there's that letting go component and like letting things work out. And actually, things are working out, you know, you I know you say that you don't feel like things are progressing. But, um, you know, I mean, to me, that what I hear that's like, okay, they, things are not progressing in the way that I want it to. Yeah. Yeah, Chuladasa actually, I don't remember if he says this in the book or not, but but at one point, I think it was during a retreat, he was talking about stage seven with someone and basically uh, what he said was, yeah, for some people, stage seven just is like really flat for a long time. Um, being the control freak that I am, I, I sort of see that as a challenge. Like, what is it that, that I'm not doing? But actually, you know, it's entirely possible that it really is just a habituation process. And you just need to keep doing it for a while and keep keep doing those. So, but also like you're, you're identifying as in stage four. So if you are in fact experiencing stage seven, and I, I don't really have a strong position on that, but if you are experiencing stage seven, then um, doing stage four practices is not gonna change anything, so. Yes there's so much gross distraction. Like I am identifying like <clears throat> really clear trains of thought that are there. Mm -hmm. I, I have to like re-center myself, redirect myself back to the breath, which happens really regularly. So the symptoms are definitely stage four. I, like there's no way there's exclusive attention there or anything like that. Um, I've had much more, much fewer distractions <clears throat> in the past. And I have a sense for what that feels like. This feels very, uh, like the sit feels very superficial. It's almost like I, I just mm -hmm. had a moment ago and just began meditating for the whole sit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like I, I've really, I don't feel like I've engaged with the object long enough for, for the mind to really engage with it, basically. So uh, I'll, I'll take a different uh, approach to this than Gilbert did, just, just you know, as a theoretical alternative, I, um, which is, um, when you describe what's happening with the breath, I do get a sense of you thinking that, that what's happening is wrong. Uh, um, definitely that. Okay, so, so that may be part of what's going on because what you're describing doesn't sound wrong to me. That actually sounds accurate, right? The breath sensations um, are not unified, right? And so at some point in your meditation practice, it should be the case that they kind of blow up. And if when they blow up, your reaction to that is to say, oh, well, this is wrong, I must be doing something wrong, and trying to get them to not be blown up again, then um, that's not gonna be fruitful. Uh, and furthermore, it could actually be what's landing you in this place where you're all distracted because you're just like, well, you know, this isn't what I'm expecting, and so you're looking for something else. So, uh, so it may be that really what you need to do is, is uh, be more present with what's actually happening 
And just, just so, so if suppose, suppose you're in stage four because not of distraction, but actually of dullness. Okay. So you're in, so just, this is just a conjecture. If you're in stage four because of dullness, then uh, you won't get a lot of breath sensations. But if your um, if your level of meditation is such that you're really experiencing the breath more as, as fragmentary sensations than as uh, a unified whole, then suddenly what's going to happen is before you actually had this mental construct of the breath, and that was kind of continuous. So even when you were in dullness, it felt continuous, and it felt like you could have your attention on it all the time. But as soon as the breath fragmented, now if you're if you have any dullness, what you're going to get is little samples of the breath every so often, right? And and so like you might get a sample of the breath, and then like you know another hundred mind moments go by before you get another sample of the breath, and in the meanwhile you've got nothing. And that could be sort of that white noisy feeling that you're having. Um, and so then uh, it may be that what you actually need to be doing is not worrying about distraction, but worrying about your level of dullness. I don't know that this is the fact. I don't know this is what's happening, but it's something to mess with. Like see if, see if you can do something. First, first of all, stop resisting the way the breath is right now. Just, just as a conjecture. I'm not saying you, that's necessarily the right thing. Just try it. See what happens if you if you can identify your resistance to the breath being as it is and just accept it as it is. So, okay, I'm only getting a sensation every so often. Fine, that's the way the breath is. And then see if the reason why you're only getting a sensation every so often is because actually you're a bit in dullness. So see if you can turn up the volume on your, see if you can turn up the energy level on your, on your mind. Um, and you can do that either by looking for subtle sensations in the body or subtle sensations in the environment, whichever seems to work for you. Uh, but just like do that conjecture. See if, if you look, one of the things that I do is I, I just like invite all of the prickly sensations on my body to appear in consciousness because normally the body suppresses, the, the mind suppresses those. So if I invite all of those to appear in consciousness, that tends to make me less dull. And then what tends to happen is the breath becomes more, it's not continuous because it's still discrete but it's, it's happening more often. And so there's a feeling of continuity that makes it easier to follow. Gilbert, what do you so, want to So, the, I mean, the, the one thing I'll say though is um, with where Jolt is, uh, at least where, where I'm pretty sure he is, mm -hmm. he's kind of at the place where if he uh, uncovers the dullness or something, right? He's, in a, he's, he's getting at the place that, um, you know, where things are discombobulating, right? Yeah. Similar to, I think, what Ken was talking about. So it's something to be aware of. And, and I know kind of his reaction to um, sort of the, the breath sensations, you know, um, you know, being aversive to it, like that's, that's another sort of tell, right? That, um, so it's, and dullness is like a way to kind of t tap things down. Um, so yeah. to me, it's like, there is like a purification type stuff, but it's probably more, um, insighty purification exactly what he's saying like the uh insight into impermanence really actually mm -hmm. i mean there's there's clearly some of that um where there's there's uh but there's also some deeper resistance because um you know the opposite of impermanence is continuity and that's kind of one of those ordering principles and mm -hmm. you know when the mind lets go of a long-held ordering principle it's like you know oh my god it's kind of a little uh it kind of freaks out a little bit, right? Um, and yeah, there's other ordering principles. Other ordering principles is having 
that your your ego being kind of how you think it is, right? How this this stable sense that's con you know continuous and uh, but separate and um, so so yeah, that's kind of all that's kind of going on um, and kind of where he's at. But the thing to sort of just to be aware of um, is that it's kind of now you're just going to have that there is some level of uh just the discombobulating and it's kind of in some sense getting doing what you need to do to prepare yourself to be comfortable with that and letting sort of you know the discombobulating discombobulating kind of play itself out uh so it's you know having enough equanimity to kind of to go through it and it's not that you're doing anything wrong actually this is this is progress this is good stuff and um yeah, I would typically recommend sort of, and some meta for this, but I know Ted kind of disagrees a little no, bit. No, um, at this oh, okay. point, no, no. That, that discussion was about doing meta when you don't have stability. Okay. But anyway. Uh, well, yes. but so the, 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 just um, one of the reasons I would recommend meta is because, you know, just having uh, meta can be, if, if, first, if you're one of those people, it can be like a safe kind of refuge in a uh -huh. sense, right? Um, if you're able to make sort of the the meta in some sense, uh, you know, just a stable thing where you're just concentrating that. And so like you can have a whole storm going on around you. But if you're concentrating, if you're able to maintain the concentration on meta um, to where you, you know, to go through whatever storm. I mean, that's awesome and amazing. And like all your the diff then you can kind of go back and forth between uh, being equanimous with the, you know, the Vipassana storm of, you know, the inside experience, getting accustomed to the inside experience, um, letting, you know, those ordering principles drop. But then when that gets too overwhelming, you go back into that, the refuge of meta. Um, and so that's what I typically would, would, you know, recommend and uh, weathering through like this type of stuff. But all of that, I think it's, it's highly relevant to your situation. Cause like, yeah, you're dealing with more advanced stuff and you're like, Oh my God, what's going on? And, you're thinking, wait, I'm something wrong with me. I'm not getting stage four. It's not working out how I think it's supposed to be. Um, and, and that's just because of the, um, you know, the dropping of, uh, you know, these different conceptual models. Okay, this uh, all makes sense. Um, I, I definitely, yeah, I have a meta practice at the start of my sits. Gilbert, are you suggesting that uh, if like in the moment when this is, uh, Maybe a little agitating. Then I should I should spend a few minutes doing meta. So it's this. The thing is to take care of yourself um, emotionally, psychologically. You know, at some level, um, at some point in time, you know, you have to sort of face just you know that agitation and just um, you know face it and with equanimity to let it sort of to see it see it get to play it out right and watch it sort of see, you know play out. But it is helpful. The, the reason why the meta is so helpful because it's a way to kind of like give yourself confidence um, that, okay, um, you know, whenever it gets too much, I can do this other thing. And I, I think meta work could work well. It could be something else. Um, but I mean, yeah, the meta as in that refuge where like, okay, let me focus on this to kind of, you know, and this helps me sort of, you know, calm down a little bit or to, yeah calm down i guess stabilize ground yeah that makes sense equanimize so it's it, equanimize i mean really like to me it's like you're there's either 
two things that you're really wanting to build. Um, you definitely want to build the equanimity. Um, you know, then there's the meta. That's another sort of, uh, you know, potential stable state that you can build. I mean, the other, the other Brahmiharas, there's the um, sympathetic joy or, uh, and then compassion, right? But the meta, meta is the easier one, I think, to concentrate on. And, um, and equanimity is one that I, I see that because that's kind of like a more the, the final, in some ways, the more advanced state. Um, and it can be harder to, to get there. I mean, it's good when you're there. And, and, and but, um, you know, I think uh, meta is in some sense, like a, an easier access point. Especially when a lot of stuff's going on. <laughs> Nate, did you have something you wanted to say? Well, I was just going to say, like, uh, I, I agree with most of the things uh, Gilbert said. And I, I was going to say, like, I've been through that before, too. And I think it's pretty normal to actually have that fluctuation. And actually being able to see that um, things weren't the way they were, I think it's a very good thing. And um, what, what really helped me was just sort of like being with whatever that arises. And I also agree that meta also helps because sometimes you're very fixed on certain concepts and meta can help you like sort of melt. Like soften. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Soften and um, yeah. open up. Yeah. And um, if you're really into like the progress of insight maps, like someone might tell you something different, but anyway, yeah. Sam? Um, yeah, I mean, part of me uh, um, is going to disagree with some of the uh, advice here. I think uh, there is um, some, uh, there was, it sounds to me like it's still stage four. I, I don't see this as being stage seven because there's distractions and I think that's pretty clear. But uh, this is kind of what stage four looks like after insight into impermanence, which is what I agree with, with uh, Ted and Gilbert. So I, I don't, I think you should be careful not to, um, practice something that's not coming up. If you really think you're in stage four, I would practice stage four. Um, but it does sound like there's a knowledge of impermanence ongoing. And uh, I think that's a result of uh, the insight. But you still should practice the stage that you're primarily dealing with, I think. And also the meta is good advice too. So. Can I jump in? I, um, just from as much as much advice as everybody is more advanced, but I would say I know Zolp, you were you were starting meta maybe a couple weeks before I did, and doing similarly like fifteen minutes and then like TMI afterward. And I would just ask, how's your uh, meta practice going? Have you noticed any changes? Have you having any challenges? Has it just remained the same? Because for me, there's been a few changes, a few realizations, um, and just recently rereading the purifications section of the Chuladasa uh, in, in TMI, at the end he mentions if persistent emotion distractions keep coming up after you do his, um, his technique for getting rid of it, then he says go to meta and practice that until you can 
easily um, feel compassion for yourself and others, easily bring about those feelings, um, which I'm still working on. I'm realizing that I, I can, it's not as easy for me in certain areas. So I would ask if your meta is going in that route or how you feel about it. Um, so I, uh, I've been following the meta instructions in <clears throat> TMI. So I, I do the, I say the phrases and then I try to visualize circumstances where I actually felt phrases about. So I try to visualize memories or I try to see how they apply to uh, I feel in the moment. Uh, this generates lots of positive feelings while I'm actually doing it, uh, but I've, I have not noticed a single change outside of the context of actually doing the meta for that 15 minutes. Um, I don't notice any change, uh, like basically 10 seconds after I stop the meta and I start TMI, I, all of the, the like subjective changes in my experience are just gone. Um, I don't, they don't impact the rest of my sits. I haven't noticed anything in daily life change. Um, nothing about the way I relate with people or the way I think about people um, or myself. Uh, I haven't noticed any difference at all, actually. So one thing about meta is that like, there's a tendency to valorize the emotions that you feel when you do it. Yeah, so um, I talked to Sam a bit about this and yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm attaining while I'm actually doing the meta is not that important. That's not the point. Yeah. But I guess Michael was asking uh, what effects I've seen maybe off the cushion or at least off the meta cushion. I might have been leading the question in that direction, which might not be the right way to go, I, just from my experience. Fair enough. Yeah, you might want to consider doing um, a different meta practice and see if it works better for you. Because I've, I've personally generally found a lot of the meta practices that are taught in Buddhism to be fairly dry. Um, and the meta practice that I did that I felt was really most transformative was actually doing the, uh, the uh, Lester Levinson love method. Uh, and his method is really quite a bit different than meta practice. You don't have to do it on the cushion. In fact, it's kind of hard to do on the cushion because you need a piece of paper in front of you. What he does is he, he writes, well, he's, he's passed away, but, but what he used to do was uh, write down, uh, basically just make a list of all of the people that he knows. All of them, every single person that he can recall ever having met. And of course, you don't want to get too distracted by that. So you start off with just the people that you can come up with, and then you add to the list as time goes by. When you have the list, you sit down with the list in front of you, you look at the first name on the list, and you try to bring up a feeling of love for that person. And when I say try to bring up a feeling of love for that person, what I mean is you just sit there, you get that person into your mind, however they are to you shouldn't be a fictional person. Like, like people you see in the news are basically fictional people, even though we imagine we know them. So don't use people like that unless you're at least aware that you're really dealing with a fictional person. But regular people that you know in daily life, um, bring them to mind, think about them, think about their lives uh, and if you need to, or if a feeling of love just spot pops up, that's fine too. But if it doesn't, then uh, just sit there with like them in mind and wait for the feeling of love to pop up have an intention for a feeling of love to pop up, wait for it to happen. And then, you know, you might sit there for a half an hour before it happens. And that's fine. What's going on is that your, your attention is on that intention for love to arise for a half an hour then. It's great. Um, and so, so then, you know, once love arises, then you move on to the next person. Once you've got a feeling of love, 
then the next person it's, it's a lot easier to generate love for because you already it's already there in the background and the point of the exercise is actually uh, what it does, it, it takes advantage of the way that memories are stored, which is whenever you remember someone, um, you immediately, as soon as you're done remembering them, you go back and rewrite the memory. And so if you can bring up a feeling of love while you're thinking of the person, then when the memory gets rewritten, the feeling of love goes with it. And so what winds up happening is that over time, all of the people that come into your mind, a feeling of love comes with it. So like, you know, the person that you see at Starbucks every morning, right? Suddenly, like, you know, so they're on a list. You might not even know their name. You just, the, the person I see at Starbucks who has brown hair and, and wears the funny glasses or whatever, whatever your mnemonic is for them. Suddenly, like, you know, and you might have to do this for a while before this happens, but after a while, you'll, you'll like, you'll be in Starbucks and you'll order your coffee and you'll be looking at this person and suddenly this feeling of love for them will just spontaneously arise. So that's the practice basically. And, and also once you, once you do, and it, it helps to do it not just with people that you would naturally love, but also with people who may have wronged you quite seriously. Um, but those are harder. So, um, but but that's basically it's all about like getting into the habit of like whenever whenever a person is realized, having love come with that person instead of um, instead of whatever default emotion comes or whatever remembered emotion comes, just having it automatically be love. And then you know it doesn't mean that you like suddenly trust this person who has wronged you. It just means that like you love them, even though they've wronged you. And like when they, you know, you don't necessarily expect that they will never wrong you again. You just, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to stab yourself in the gut every time you see them just because they wronged you once. So anyway, that's a fun practice. Kind of. Uh, seems like it might be useful to put the people you interact with most at the top of the list. Not necessarily. No. no. Could be some, I mean, actually it can be very fruitful to put people like that you haven't seen in 20 years on the top of the list because you may have very deeply embedded uh, feelings about them that you haven't really explored in 20 years. And so digging like the people that you see most of the time, that you see frequently, you know, you're, 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 you're probably more in tune with your feelings about them than with anybody else in your psyche. So, I, I mean, I'm not saying those people you shouldn't do. I'm just saying, you know, it is actually very fruitful to do. Like I've had very fruitful experiences doing this practice on people that I haven't seen in, in 20 years and also on people who, are, who have passed away. So, Michael? Yeah, if I could just give just maybe two experiences that I had that maybe would be a signpost that you could look for something like that, Jolt or anybody else. Um, one was... I, uh, it became clear to me after a few weeks, uh, when I was doing generating loving kindness for, for example, my niece, who's two years old, very, very easy. I want all these things, happiness for her safety, this and that. And then I will go to myself and the feelings are just, it's just empty. There's no, not those loving kindness feelings. Just, it just feels like dry. So then that became, you know, if, you kind of notice it maybe at the beginning, but it came very clear when I was doing one after the other, like, okay, for my niece, I really want these things for her. And then I switched to myself and it's not there. So then I knew that there was something that is very clear, like what I can work on. And, and in addition to that, I was trying to picture myself as a kid because that's one of the exercises to do the same thing. 
and it also wasn't there. And I had a realization like I don't really I don't really have a good opinion about myself when I was a kid. So that's one of the insights I, I got from that. So the other thing, and the other thing would be after doing the neutral person uh, loving kindness for a while, it was just somebody that I saw at the gym, or actually one of the people who worked at the gym. So I would see them every so often to, to check in. Um, and it was very dry for a while. And then at one time I was doing it and I was thinking about him and I said, I, I thought I really want him to, I was thinking about it and I thought I really want him to be, to enjoy life. Like it was a want, like a desire. And it really was a feeling like I really want that for him. And that was originally, there was nothing there. It was just me reciting words. So to me, those are maybe just two things to look out for that are very subtle that maybe can show you that you're you're on in the right direction with with meta yeah thanks michael do you um do you notice do you notice effects outside of just the actual practice of meta so when you stop doing it say you're tim i sit are you are you noticing any subjective difference yeah and i mentioned i mentioned this to ted but it was at the end of the hour um pretty close to what time it is now um maybe a couple of weeks ago. Um, when I first started doing the meta, uh, very at the be beginning practices, when I got done, I was actually very, I was like very impatient and angry. And uh, I was seeing as it that I run out of love willpower. Did I use it all up? Am I building up? And I kind of exhausted my, my small supply at the moment. Um, that went away relatively quickly in the first week or so. Um, and then, um, you know, part, partly I came back, I was outside the country and I came back and I don't know if, because I can communicate with people better because I wasn't so good at my second language, but when I was going around to different, uh, run errands at the bank or at the store or something like that, I would just start having conversations with people and I would be like totally open to them. Um, really not desiring anything from them just to talk to them and and just like uh find out have a conversation tell some jokes to like brighten their day or something like that and it wasn't really even an intention to do that and then i noticed a couple of days after that um i had this thought that my heart is open and i told that to to ted last time i'm like and I finally understood, I, I don't know if I heard that before, but to me, I totally understood what it means. Like my heart is open to these people, not everybody and not to, to myself, maybe all the time. But when I was there, it's like, no, I don't know. I don't know. I want to say I'm, I'm vulnerable, but I would say I, it was like, here, here's everything. This is me. I'm giving my whole self to you, my personality, everything. I'm telling you about my life. I want to hear about your life. And, and actually coming from kind of like more social, I've had social anxiety in the past and not like talking to strangers and all that stuff. Now it's, if I get to go somewhere, I'm like, yes, who am I going to meet? Who I'm going to get to talk to? <laughs> so it's, it's been a, it's been a change for me, but I, you know, so that's, you know, that's just my personal experience with it. And that might be kind of a, a big shift that not everybody's going to, going to have. And I'm not sure if it's going to be permanent or there'll be ups and downs to that, but that's, that's been kind of uh, a big change for me. Sounds great, Michael. I actually, uh, as soon as you start, you mentioned running errands. I remembered your, uh, that you told us this uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm glad that it's still persistent for you.
before everybody wanders off, I just want to say uh, I'm going to be flying on uh, next Saturday at this time, so I won't be on the call again. Sorry about that. You guys have been awesome when I haven't been around. I've been reviewing the calls because I was putting up the audios, and, and it's, it's kind of cool how this just happens without me here. Um, so uh, uh, Rodrigo, would you, would you be willing to be host next weekend? Sure. Yeah, basically, you don't have to do anything. Just show up and, and, and you know, be the person in charge. So that so that somebody is 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 you know making things flow. Okay. Sure. Thanks. No problem. Okay. And then Nate, did you have one last thing you wanted to say before we wrap up, or what's going on with that? No, I, I just had a something to talk about for Meta, but we can talk about it some other time. It's not Great practice talk. oriented. But. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming, everybody. Great to see you, and I will see you in two weeks. Bye. All right. See y'all.